chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. And it says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about anything. I've been kind of working through this journey this whole year, this whole year, and I wanted to kind of share with you about what I've seen and what I've I've had to experience. I have people in my world, and I'm sure you're the same, people who are in my family who I love dearly. And I had people who suffer and they worry and they have anxiety and they have depression. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know people? Do you have people like this in your world? No, am I the only one? My cousin last year committed suicide, 40 years old. Decided there was no hope for him. Decided that there wasn't a light in the dark. It was was a bit of a shock. I have people in my world who go through periods where they are so depressed that they go to bed for three, four, five days. You can't get them out of bed. You can't get them to respond to anything. And it's awful. I have people in my world who get so down about their life and so down about what's going on in their world that they can do the barest minimum. They may be feeding their family, they may be feeding the kids, but what they're feeding them is just out of the takeaway bar. They can barely keep on top of housework. They can barely function at work. And I have people in my world who I have sat up with because of their anxiety. So late at night, we'll have these hour-long conversations as I'm trying to talk them through their anxiety and talk them through what they're worried about. And some of this stuff isn't going to happen for three, four, or five years, or may never happen, but it's still, it's in that moment they are so consumed with this fear, so consumed with this anxiety that that's all they see. And you know what? It's exhausting. I'm exhausted from it, and I'm tired from it, and I have been trying to get them to see, and doesn't matter what I say, they have a problem for every solution I come up with. And I've been, God, what is going on? And if you know me at all, I like to battle. I do not accept what goes on, and I will fight. And what it came to me a couple of months ago, in about February of this year, it suddenly hit me, I am not going to win. I am not going to win this battle for the simple reason is that is not my giant. That is not the wall that has to come down around my Jericho. That is not my Red Sea. You see, when you suffer under anxiety and worry and pressure and stress and and when you suffer under depression, that's a battle in your mind. I cannot fight that battle for them. I cannot fight that battle for you. And I found that so awful, and I became so angry, and I became so frustrated, and I was like, but God, your word says, don't worry about anything, but they worry about everything, and I can't fix this, and I can't change this, and this is making me mad. So God and I kind of talked about this, 
And I'm like, what can I do, God? Because this is unacceptable in my world. I will not accept this. So God kind of reminded me, what have I gifted you to do? What are you talking about? This isn't about me. It's about them. No, no, what have I gifted you to do? Okay, well, I, I teach. That's right, because you need to teach them. So I started to look into some stuff. Now, I do not have time to teach all that I found out. I do not have time today to teach all that I learned. I'm going to take a snippet, and hopefully, if you are a person who gets weighed down under depression or you suffer from anxiety, that this will give you some keys. If you are a person who has a loved one in your world who suffers, this will give you some keys. My goal today is to help you have a key that if you suffer, you can overcome, that if you know someone else who suffers, you can help them overcome. Because once again, you cannot fight this battle for them. Yeah? Does that make sense? All right, so I really hope that you're going to come away empowered today. So I've got this one particular person with the anxiety that I've been, and who basically became my test case. Another word for it. And we have seen success. So what I did basically was I went, okay, the first thing we're going to do is, is you need to shift your focus, mate. So we found a song, and I have shared this stuff that I'm talking to you about with other people in our church who, who have been suffering under some depression. So I went to him, I went to this person, I said to them, here's this song, and it's called Peace by Hillsong. I said, every night we're going to play it quietly on your phone, over and over. In fact, you're going to set your phone to turn off in an hour's time, but the song I wanted to keep playing for the whole hour, and you will fall asleep with that song in your head. You'll fall asleep with that song in your, in your ears. So that's what we started doing. Then I found a whole bunch of scriptures, and I got these scriptures together, and I found them for the purpose of that they spoke about having hope, and they spoke about God being a light in the darkness, and they spoke about there being a promise and a fulfillment, and so we meditated. And when I say meditate, we don't just read it. We think about it. We consume ourselves with it. We get to the point where we can recite this thing over. We stick it on our bedroom wall. We stick it um, in our kitchen. We stick it on the back wall of the toilet. We stick it on the door of the toilet. We stick it everywhere we can to get that into them. Then the other thing we did is we downloaded Uversion. If you have not got the Uversion app, it is a free app. I recommend it for everybody if you do not have it. Download the Uversion app. It is a Bible app. It has so many different versions of the Bible, but the thing that I really like about it is it has Bible plans and studies. So we found every single one around anxiety, around worry, and we, we did them daily. And it was a long process, but we began to see some hope. We began to see some change. We began to see that the anxiety and the worry wasn't quite sitting on them quite as much. And so when we begin to see the spiral happening, when I begin to hear the words again about the worry and the anxiety and the panic, and I say, are you listening to your song? Are you listening to your song? Are you playing it while you're sleeping so that it gets into your spirit? Are you reading, are you doing the version apps? Are you on version and playing those, going through those weekly, daily things? Are you meditating on your scriptures? No, I'm not. Okay, let's do that. And this is the kind of the journey that I've been on for the last few months. Because one of the things that deeply concerns me is the spiritual implications of what our nation is about to do with changing the abortion laws and with changing the euthanasia laws. Because all that is doing is allowing the spirit of murder to have legal right to operate in our nation. And what do you think is going to happen to the suicide rate? 
we give them legal, we give that, that demonic spirit legal right to operate, it will just have a field day with us. And I will not have it. Because our God is not a God that, that allows death. He is a God of life. It is a complete and utter attack on him. And so this whole year, every time I hear it and every time I see it, the focus I keep getting is that he is a light in the darkness and he is a light in the darkness. Do you know that I can stand on the balcony of our house and I can look towards Auckland City and at night I can actually see the light on the top of the sky tower? It's about 40 kilometers. The thing that that tells me is no matter how far away you are from the light, you can still see it. And that is our God. Sorry, I, that was not all that I was going to say. So Philippians, and it says, don't worry about anything. Other versions actually say, be anxious for nothing. But don't worry about anything. Paul says it. Don't worry about anything. And I'm kind of thinking, it's a little bit impossible. In this day and age, in the world that we currently live in, that is a really hard thing to do. Is it possible to worry about nothing? Is it possible to do that? If you think about it, we have had mass shootings at high schools in the States. Here in New Zealand, we even had a mass shooting in a mosque. People are worried about things. We have, uh, there have been high schools in New Zealand that have had to have shutdowns and practicing, we're practicing shutdowns. We have had earthquakes, massive earthquakes. There are a lot of things that we can worry about. I read a really interesting article um, the other day, and briefly it talked about Generation Z. So if you're in high school and younger, you're, you're Generation Z, right? So Generation Z, they say, are the most anxious, worried generation to ever come across the earth. They worry about everything. They worry about where they're going to go to school. They worry about college, if they can afford college. They worry about are they going to get a job. They worry about are they going to get a house. They worry about having enough money to actually feed themselves. And if you even look around in New Zealand today, we've got people who don't have homes and they're living on the street. We've got people living in their cars, which really concerns me because New Zealand is a welfare nation. We hand out money to people who don't have any, and yet we still have people in these situations. This is not good enough, and people are worried. So can we live a life where we don't worry? I don't know if we can. I believe we can. But it doesn't look like we can. And I want to talk to you about how there's an Old Testament prophet who actually walked with God. He had a great relationship with God. He saw God's miracles. He saw the faithfulness of God. And yet he still had moments of great anxiety and great worry. And there are, we're going to read a passage, and there are four mistakes that he made that I'm going to make sure that we learn about so that we don't make these mistakes. Yeah? Does that work? All right. So we're going to talk about Elijah. I love Elijah. If you've been at church long enough, you know I usually preach about Elijah every second time I speak. So we have Elijah. And for those of you who don't know, I just want to give you a little bit of context. So Elijah was the prophet that was around at the time of King Ahab. King Ahab was evil. He led the whole nation into sin. He uh, worshipped Baal, but he was a very evil man. And so Elijah, on, on the behest of God, goes and confronts Ahab. And what he does is he says to Ahab, because of all the sin that you have led our nation into, I proclaim a drought. There will be no water. Now, they live in a borderline desert area, agricultural society. They kind of need the water. 
To start with, Ahab's just really ticked and he's really angry. So he says, that's it, we're going to kill him. So they start trying to hunt him. So Elijah spent three years running from Ahab. Now, I'm serious. When I say running, I mean he is dodging this guy. He's slipping in and out of things. There's so many times when he almost catches him. And then amongst all of this, Elijah's also performing miracles and telling people about God. So it's a a stressful time, yeah? Ducking and weaving and escaping all the time, really stressful. It gets to a point where he confronts Ahab and Baal. So Baal's the, the reigning god of the time. So he confronts him and he manages to do this almighty showdown, and we love showdowns, right? I mean, we love Rocky, we love showdowns. Last night, classic example, or the trash talk from the Irish, we love showdowns. So you have this showdown between Baal and God. So you have about 850 prophets of Baal, and they build this massive thing, and they're calling out to Baal, come and, you know, burn it up, da-da-da, and then you've just got Elijah by himself. 850 Versus one. That's a pretty awesome showdown, right? So showdown happens. God turns up. It's amazing. It's a miracle. God, you know, fires up everything, completely destroys everything. Then Elijah takes his sword and he slaughters all 850 prophets of Baal. Completely slaughters them. That's a lot of work. And I often wonder, did they like to stand there and let him do it? Anyway. That's the thing. So what happens is, is Ahab, of course, is a bit upset and annoyed, and he goes home and he says to his wife, this is what Elijah's done. Now, he was married to a woman called Jezebel. And if we all thought Ahab was bad, Jezebel was worse. She was evil personified. And what she says is she goes, Ahab, honey, just sit down and let me take care of this. The man doesn't know what he's doing. A woman needs to do the job. So she gets up. And she says, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. And writes it down on a piece of paper and sends him the message. And you know what happens? Elijah freaks. Completely falls apart. Has a complete and utter spiral into anxiety and worry and depression. Which some of you may understand. Some of you maybe have got to that point. And I want us to have a look at what happens and why he did this and what he did through this process to see if there's something here that you can make sure that you don't do or that you need to do. Does that make sense? Yeah? I always find that whole thing funny. He faces down 850 prophets and one woman sends him running scared. It's weird. All right, so... 1 Kings chapter 19. If you get the opportunity in your week, you need to read the whole thing. Because I do not have much time, I'm going to just take snippets and jump around a little bit, all right? So, 1 Kings 19, verse 3 to 4. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his uh, his servant there. He then went on alone to the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. So Elijah was afraid. He's completely freaking out. He's experiencing some very deep and very real anxiety at the thought that this woman is coming to kill him. I kind of think to myself, if she really wanted to kill him, she wouldn't have told him. She actually would have just gone and done it. really feel like it was a bit of an empty threat. 
So Elijah fleds for his life and he goes to Bathsheba and the town of Judah. Now I want you to watch for the mistakes that he made. And he left his servant there and then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. So now he's all by himself, wandering the wilderness. All by himself with his worry, all by himself with his anxiety, all by himself with the things that he's afraid of. And he's wandering the wilderness. And he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Now I want you to notice how irrational he's just become. He was afraid that she was going to kill him, so we're going to run away. And then we're going to sit down under a tree and pray that we die. We're afraid that she's going to kill us because we don't want to die, but we're going to come over here and sit down and go, God, just kill me. This is not a rational thought process. This is not what he should be doing. And he's struggling. Mentally, he is struggling. And there are times that I bet when we've been there. And he says, I have had enough, Lord. I can't take it anymore. It's too hard. I don't want to do it. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore, God. I've got all these bills. I can't pay them. God, I'm working and I'm working, I'm working, I'm not getting ahead. Every time I feel like I've paid off one bill, another bill appears. Or maybe you're a solo parent and you're, you're trying to do your best and you get to that point where you're like, I just want somebody else for one night to step in so that I don't have to be the boss and I don't have to work out what to do. Do you know what the number one thing is that I absolutely dread in my world? Is working out what we're going to have for dinner each week. Seriously. I get to the point where I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm just not going to do it. And then Craig's always like, I'm not doing it. Um, and, then, and, then, and I thought, when the kids got older, they would be more helpful in this regard. But they're not. I'll say to them, what do you guys want for dinner? Oh, I know. Honestly. And they get to the point where you have had enough. Maybe your, your marriage is, is on the rocks. Maybe there was some deception in your marriage and you're trying and you're trying and you're trying and they do it again. And you go, I've had enough. Maybe you've cooked dinner like 18,000 times, and for 18,000 times, no one said thank you, and no one cleared the table, and then on the 18,001st time, you absolutely lose it and turn into a hurricane. You know what I mean? Have you been there? There are times when I get it. I've had enough. I'm not doing this. I'm, I'm done. I can't take it anymore. So I want to look at what these mistakes were, these common mistakes that we all make, and we all make them, right? The first one is we run ourselves into the ground. Elijah had just spent three years running from Ahab, hiding from Ahab. He'd also literally just slaughtered 850 men. Now, I'm sure that was a huge physical task. Like, I'm sure it wasn't an easy thing for him to do. And he had completely run himself ragged. He had not been taking care of himself. At no point in the story, if you read through the whole of Kings, do you see him taking care of himself. He's just given out and he's giving out. And we have moments and seasons in our life where we go through where we do that, where we just keep giving and keep giving. I just need to get to here. I just need to finish this project at work. I just need to finish this. I just need to get the kids out the door. I just need to pick them up from school. I just need to get them to, you know, league practice. Or I just need to, and it's just continual. And at no stage have you stopped. 
He was in a season of anxiety and he did not recognize it. The second thing we do is that we shut people out. That was the second mistake and quite a big one that Elijah made. He goes to his servant, his most trusted friend, and he says, you stay here. And then he wanders off by himself. I don't, I don't, I don't need you anymore. You, do, I'm just gonna, you just stay here and I'm just going to... And we isolate ourselves. And we pull ourselves away. Do you know why we have connect groups in church? To partially care for you. That's why we have connect groups. We have connect groups in church because they are the heartbeat of what we do here. Because you know what? Craig is one person and he cannot get around everybody. So connect groups are there so that you can form a connection. So that when you are going through a hard time, somebody notices. When you are going through troubles or tribulations, somebody goes, hey, let me stand with you. Let me pray with you. When you are in a season where you cannot, you're struggling to cook dinner and you're struggling to do stuff, they will step up and go, hey, we will cook a meal for you. We will take care of you. We will pray for you and we will look after you. That is why we have connect groups. You need to be in a connect group. If you do not feel that you are connected and you're not in a connect group, that's why. That is why. You need to connect with people. Oh, but there's no connect group that fits the time I like. Then start one. Seriously, start your own connect group. They don't have to be deeply spiritual. You can start a Tiddlywinks club and get a whole bunch of people together at 6.30 a.m. on a Tuesday morning because that's what works for you to connect. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what time you're doing. It doesn't matter how spiritual it is because it's about connecting with the people of God, connecting with people who will stand with you. So I don't want to hear, ah, oh, it doesn't work for me. Start your own. Seriously. Let Craig know and he will just go, yes, excellent. And he will connect you with other people who want to do with it. And the other thing is, there's no pride in family. Because some of us have got chips on our shoulders, so massive. I'm, I can handle it. I can do it myself. I don't need to ha- ask anybody for help. Bollocks. We are created to do life in relationship. We are not created to do life alone. We are created to be in relationship with one another and in relationship with God. So you know what? I want this church to represent how I've raised my family. And my family is raised this way. I don't care what mistake you made, how big it is or how awful it is. I want you to tell me. Because I will never react terribly. I will never throw my hands up in the air and tell you how terrible you are. Because I don't do that with my kids, so I'm never going to do that with you. You have, there is no pride. I can handle it. I'm strong enough. No one's saying you're not strong enough. What we're saying is that sometimes you need someone to come alongside you and help you hold your arms up. Pride has no place here because we are family. And if you can't come to me, then I can't come to you. Because you know what? Sometimes I need help. Sometimes I need to sit down and say to somebody, help me, I'm struggling. I can't do this on my own. I just want to make sure that you understand that as a family, we should be trusting one another. We should be helping one another. We should be supporting one another. Get in a connect group. We need to focus. Sometimes the problem we have, the third thing that Elijah did is he focused on the negative. He focuses on the negative. My life is so hard. I can't get it done. Everything is a struggle. I can't stand these people I work with. I can't stand these people I live with. I can't stand these people I birthed. You know, the whole thing goes through. There are moments where you have that that thought, right? 
You know, I'm always going to be struggling. I'm always going to be broke. I'm never going to get ahead. I'm never going to get a job that's going to be good enough for me to actually be able to buy a house. Or I'm never, and we focus so much on all the negative that's going on. You know what? There are moments when your life does suck and it is going to be awful. But that's not what we're going to focus on. We, focus, we don't want to focus on the negative. The fourth thing is we forget God. And that's the biggest mistake that we make, is that we forget God. Why is it that the last thing we do is pray? We always forget God. And to be honest, for Elijah, this was even worse. This is absolutely crazy that he completely forgot God. You see, because God had been with him through the whole of the three years, even longer. He had been with him performing miracles. He had been with him providing for him and, and uh, calling down fire and consuming that sacrifice and then giving him the strength of sort of 850 prophets. There, God was with him every single step of the way. See, in Elijah's name itself should have been enough to comfort him in his anxiety. Names are important. Names are deeply important. When Craig and I named our children, we did it with purpose behind it. Madison Joy, Madison meaning mighty battler, joy because the joy of the Lord is her strength. So that every time I say her name, that's what she hears and that's what she becomes. Seth David, Seth, appointed by God, David is beloved. So that every time I say his name, he knows it. Names are important. Elijah's name was so important, particularly for the, this particular part of his life. Elijah, El, is short for Elohim, which is God. The I, Elijah, is me, mine. Jah is Yahweh. My God is Yahweh, is what his name literally meant. Yahweh, another term for Yahweh, is breath. My God is my breath. My God is my life. My God is my source. So Elijah's name himself should have reminded him of who God was. And yet knowing this, knowing that God had been with him for the three years, and knowing that God was there beside him because he even says, God, take my life, he still bows down under his anxiety. Even though God was still near, he completely fell apart. And there are times in our lives when we completely fall apart, when God's still there, when God is with us, when God is beside us. And what does God do with that? What did God do with Elijah? Did he go, oh, you have little faith, and shake his head? Actually, that's not what he did. Do you know what God did? God met Elijah in his need. God met Elijah right where he was. I'm going to show you how God revealed himself to him. So if we jump through to verse 11, and he says, Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. See, there was a mighty wind, but God wasn't in the wind. And there was an earthquake which shook the earth, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. Surely God's going to be in the fire, right? He wasn't in the fire. But he was in the whisper. He was in the breath because the Lord is near. You see, God doesn't always turn up in the most remarkable, amazing ways. Sometimes God turns up in the ordinary. 
Sometimes God turns up in the soft and in the gentle and in the whisper. When we are overwhelmed by stress and anxiety, when we are overwhelmed, what does God do? He comes with a whisper. He comes quiet. And I kind of think to myself, why doesn't he speak to us in these big, powerful ways? Why, why didn't he come in the wind? Why wasn't he there in the earthquake? And why wasn't he there in the fire? Because those are hugely remarkable, amazing things. Why wasn't God in that? Why did God come in such a gentle way? When you're in the midst of anxiety, when you're in the midst of worry, you have all these thoughts in your head. And you have the devil screaming at you, and it's loud, and it's just continuous, and it's just, and it's just, and it's all-consuming. And what you have is God comes alongside you because He's near, and He's whispering in your ear. And because He's whispering in your ear, you actually have to start to pay attention because this drama in your world, this worry that you've got, is so loud and so taking all your focus, that you actually have to consciously, intentionally pay attention to the whisper. And so what happens is, is you're standing in this whirlwind of all this, this worry and anxiety, and you hear the whisper. And because you're starting to focus on the whisper, you're starting to move away from the anxiety. And you're starting to move away from the worry. And you're starting to move away from the things that are upsetting you. And you're getting closer to the whisper of what God has got to say for you. That's why he whispers, because it's about drawing you close. It's about drawing you in. It's about bringing you into relationship with him. It's about you coming away from all that drama so that he can envelop you, so that he can wrap his arms around you, so that he is with you, because he will never leave you nor forsake you. That is why he whispers, because he is close. He is always close. Always close. You see, the devil will shout at you all these lies. Worry and anxiety and depression all have their root beginning in fear. And fear is a spirit. Fear is not something God has given us. And so when we actually allow that spirit to have a stronghold, a foothold in our mind, you've got to overcome that by the word of God, by hearing his whisper, by overcoming and, and hearing that whisper. Oh, but I don't feel like when I'm, I'm, you know, when I'm, because anxiety is where it starts and then it actually goes into depression. But when I'm depressed, I don't feel like I'm afraid of things. No, because by then it's too late. He's actually got a foothold in your world. But if you can stop him at the anxiety stage, if you can overcome him at the anxiety stage, you see, your, your experience of God plus God's presence in your life is enough. You see, your experience with God, when the whole entire world is full of anxiety, when you start to remember that God is right there beside you, you start to listen for his whisper, you start to hear what he's saying, it is enough. You see, because what happens is, is I'm in this mess and I've got all this, the enemy shouting these lies at me, I've got all this fear welling up within me, and I hear God says, I have not given you a spirit of fear. I've given you a spirit of sound mind. Okay? I have called you child. Okay, I have called you daughter. I have called you son. You are beloved of God. You are a child of the kingdom of God. You are of the most high. You are righteous. And when you start to hear these things, all of this 
starts to get quiet because you're moving away from it. And you start to focus on what it is that God's been saying to you. And if you do what I've said and you have those scriptures that you're meditating on when you're in that situation and because you're listening for God, when you begin to do that, you begin to shift your world, you begin to shift your focus, and you stop being negative and you stop focusing on what you don't have and you begin to focus on what you do have. And what I have is God. And what I have is belief. And what I have is faith. Because at the end of the day, if you can't tell me anything that God has done for you that you can have as your experience, he took you out of the kingdom of darkness and he put you into the kingdom of light. So you have the light of the world. You have that promise in your hand because he has created you to be the head and not the tail. No weapon formed against you will prosper. He has prepared a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He has led you beside the still waters. He has done all these things. And as you begin to remember those and focus on those things, the anxiety and the fear begin to leave because it cannot stand. That spirit of fear cannot stand in the presence of God because when God turns up, the spirit has to leave. Your experience of God and what you know of God and what you believe of God plus God's presence in your world is enough to overcome. What was interesting with Elijah, and if, uh, I really recommend you read his story. We're going to skip to the end. Bit of a spoiler alert if you've never read it. At the end of Elijah's story, something very interesting happens. In 2 Kings 2, Elijah and his protege Elisha are walking along, and along comes this chariot and being pulled by horses made of fire. Right, pretty impressive. And it comes along, and it gathers up Elijah. And it takes him up to heaven. So Elijah does not taste death. He never died. The thing that he had been so afraid of with Jezebel about dying never, ever happened for him. Ever. He never died. And I always think to myself when I'm talking to people around anxiety, nine times out of ten, what they are anxious about and what they're worried about will never happen. Elijah, who was fearful of death, something we all thought would, would all, everyone should be facing, he never died. God just took him to heaven. And then those, the, those moments, and you're worried about it, and something happens, but it's never quite as bad, right? You've had those moments when you've been really stressed out about something, you go through that process, and it wasn't as bad as you thought. It's normally never quite as bad as your anxiety is telling you it's going to be. And then you have those worst-case scenarios. And to be honest, these are very few. Very few of my experience with people have ever happened. And the absolute worst thing happens. But because you have God in your life, you have his word, you have his presence, you have his hand upon you, what happens is you get through it. Because Romans 8 says that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. Do not worry about a thing. Do not worry about a thing. Because when you focus upon God, the peace of God will guard your heart and will guard your mind. And anxiety and worry and fear and depression live in the mind. I'm not going to worry because the peace of God guards my heart and guards my mind. Does that make sense? Is that helpful? I want to pray because... This is, this is real in people's worlds. So I don't know if you're a person who suffers under this. So we're going to pray for you.
I don't know if you have someone in your world who suffers under this. So we're going to pray for them. Yeah? Let's do this. Father, we thank you that you are the light in the darkness. We thank you, God, that you have called us to be the light in the darkness. And God, that as your spirit lives and abides in us, as the spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead lives and abides in us, God, we can be the light in the darkness for other people. God, for those of us who struggle under anxiety and under worry and under depression, Father, that they will begin to see the path that they can take. God, that they will not actually focus on the negative. God, that they'll begin to focus on your word. Lord, that they'll begin to focus on what your spirit is saying. And God, that they would team up with other people. God, that they would get into a connect group. Or if they're in a connect group, they'll sit down and they'll say to them, I am struggling. God, that the connect group would gather around and uplift them. God, if they're not in a connect group, God, that they would find one. And if they don't find one, Lord, that they'll come and find a leader in the church and speak to them about uplifting them. God, for those of us who have family members who are struggling, who struggle under anxiety and depression and, and all those things, God, that you would strengthen us and give us wisdom. God, that we would be the light into the darkness. Whether they know you or not, Father, is irrelevant. God, that we would offer them hope. God, that we would be bold and courageous and say to them, I want to pray for you. I read this scripture. This will help you. Meditate upon this. God, that we would begin to formulate plans that people could easily follow to help lead them out of this darkness. God, that you are the light of the dark. God, that you would shine so brightly through us, God, that all men would come and be able to find you for themselves. God, that your spirit would go forth, bringing life, bringing hope, bringing peace. God, that your peace that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds. God, that we won't worry about anything because we know that you guard our heart and our minds that you work all things together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. God, light in the darkness, light in the darkness, light in the darkness, that is who you are. God, I thank you that you are my light in the darkness. Thank you, God, that you are light in the darkness for everyone who cannot see you, for everyone who is so clouded by fear. God, that your light would shine so that they would see. God, that your light would shine. you are God the light that shines that this season as we come into the whole Christmas season God that that would be what we say that that would be what we produce that that would be what our community sees that what our family sees that this would not be a year where more people take their own lives Father but this would be a year where people find hope that this will be the year, God, that people find you, that people embrace you, Father. I thank you, God, that as we go forth, we go forth knowing, God, that we have a plan. 
We go forth knowing, God, that we have steps that we can take, that we go forth with that hope in our heart, that step that we have, Father God, just that joy and that bounce that we have, God. And God, that it invades everybody else around us. God, that it overflows from us into our homes, overflows into our workplaces, overflows into our communities. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.